I love how Kim walks in as we start recording. Yeah, bringing me coffee. Welcome to 10 Ton Potato, the podcast where we talk about actual productivity in the Office 365 stack. Brad, and I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder, Craig Tarr. Craig, how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. It's been a week of uh, sitting in Namibia with no internet, so I feel like I've missed out on a whole lot of things, but at the same time, zened out a little bit, so quite nice. At any point in time, did you have bokdrol, or other known as buck poop, in your mouth? I might have, and uh, the scary thing was that that was actually my suggestion as well. I'm, I made it as a joke, and then it turned into a full-on competition of spitting uh, to see how far you could spit uh, buck poop. True story. Waitamela, our marketing editor, is going to get a clip of that, and hopefully <laughs> that. <laughs> Um, great. Thanks for that. Just left a weird taste in my mouth. Um, but yes, today we're going to be talking Microsoft Fabric. So whether you are a beginner, an expert, a developer, a user, a potato lover or potato hater, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. This is 10 Ton Potato and we're going to be focusing on Microsoft Fabric in this episode. But before we get to that, let's jump into the news. And in the news this week, um, there's the big competitor to Notion, uh, which is Loop, which is the competitor or replacer of OneNote, I think. Um, mm. Seen a lot of buzz around uh, Loop. I mean, Notion's been around for a while. It's got a big ecosystem and tons of users. And so I think Microsoft have gone ahead and created uh, the opposition instead of just purchasing them. And it was obviously after the whole Slack Teams debacle uh, where they tried to buy Slack. Slack said no, so then they made Teams. And then Teams has been a success, so they now think that they can do whatever they want. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense in terms of those, that uh, loop functionality, whether whether it's a replacement for, for OneNote or an enhancement to OneNote and everything else in 365. I'm, I'm not sure because that loop uh, componentry, whether you put it in Teams, in Outlook, whatever it is, it's really about that dynamism of updating uh, the, the components and, um, and uh, sending through new data in the same format. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if if you can't beat them, uh, then then build your own and uh, and then. Okay, so two things: there. first of all, don't use big words like dynamism around you, okay. And secondly, the the phrase goes: if you can't beat them, join them. Not if yeah. you can't beat them, yeah, yeah. beat them. Like you can't make up new phrases. <laughs> of course you can. That's how they first got made up in the first place. Okay, and uh, in exciting news. Um, maybe we should do the notion versus loop thing or introduction, uh, in introduction into loop next, next episode. Cause I'm quite keen. Yeah, to I've never it. used notion. So that would be quite cool just to see the difference. 
Yeah, I think we definitely need to look at that. All right, so uh, big news, Microsoft got hacked. Um, looks like a Russian APT group called Midnight Blizzard, uh, or I don't know if they call them Midnight Blizzard or someone else named them, but it's a pretty cool name. Anyway, uh, got access to the Office 365 admin portal of the corporate Microsoft uh, environment via legacy account and then used um, OAuth to escalate those privileges and get access to pretty much everything for what they said was two months. Two months Microsoft's accounts were uh, compromised and that then led to a number of issues for them. Did, so, did they not uh, read their recommendations on the secure score? Yeah, so obviously uh, there was an account that didn't have multi-factor authentication enabled, didn't have conditional access. And um, yeah, from what I understand, once they had access to that, they then created new accounts. They created an app that uh, monitored uh, things so that even if they lost access to that account, they still had access through another means. It is a major, major incident from Microsoft's part. So, I mean, some, sometimes you you can't put multi-factor authentication onto an account for whatever reason. Maybe it's for some app privilege or whatever. And what, what would your suggestion be there for length of password for people who are watching and uh, are now hearing this and freaking out? Yeah, so you've got legacy um, apps that are unable to use MFA. Um, and so, you know, obviously the password needs to be of ultimate strength. Um, so just maximize the characters and bits and pieces that need to go into it. Uh, the other thing is, you know, conditional access. It can only have uh, access from these locations or these devices or XYZ. And then, you know, least privilege. So this account only has access to do the following and not uh, admin to the portal. Um, yeah. There shouldn't be an instance where you've got this admin account that doesn't have MFA. Like, that's huge faux pas. And so, yeah, least privilege, conditional access, exceptionally strong password. Um, and then, obviously, you know, uh, managing that password change could be difficult because you've obviously put it in your legacy application. So, people then, you know, don't update it. So, yeah, I have a plan to get rid of that legacy application and figure out another way to do it. Yeah, I, I know also um, having used good old uh, SharePoint designer, which doesn't allow for authentication, you can also create a um, an app authentication password, can't you? So you've still got MFA, etc. But just for those apps that require it, you can pass pass in a separate password. Yeah, I think that could have been the, the, the situation now. Okay, gotcha. those, aren't, those aren't particularly strong by default. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, getting that as strong as possible would maybe uh, curbed this hack. But yeah, big news. Two months, they siphoned off all the main execs' emails and, and, and. So, egg on the face there by Microsoft. And I think 
uh, well, it's I think it's just a coincidence, but obviously next month they're going to be rolling out the conditional access policies to Office 365 across the board. Uh, and right now they are there, but they're more in alert or report mode. They're going to be enforcing it. So if you haven't done your MFA and uh, you've been ignoring it, uh, you won't be able to get into your accounts. Uh, you will have to either switch it off manually uh, or put in some uh, steps to getting that sorted out in your own environment. So something to look out for. Okay, excellent. Well, when I'm locked out by my IT team. Oh, but you've got MFA, you're okay. <laughs> of course. Um, so yeah, that's the news. Uh, been a busy week. Um, but uh, let's get into the what is Microsoft Fabric and I'm coming into this with all the things that Microsoft have been releasing and the plethora of choices you have across the Office 365 stack, I have absolutely zero idea as to what Microsoft Fabric is. I've heard it, I've heard PI, I've heard data, but I've just shut off and I've gone, that's not something I want to get involved in because I think it's going to be a rabbit hole. And so I'm glad we're doing the session today and hopefully you can give us some insight as to what's what. Excellent. So it's not often that I get to talk to you about uh, something that you know absolutely nothing about. So first time ever, actually. First Here time we ever. go. <laughs> so basically, um, what is Fabric? Um, well, it's it's basically a manner in which to create a single source of truth. And what I mean by that is you've got multiple sources of data. They they're everywhere within your organization. We're talking about databases, both on premise in the cloud. Uh, they could be sitting in Azure, they could be sitting in AWS, they could be sitting elsewhere. Um, you might have files. So lots of our clients have Excel files and CSVs coming from different systems or questionnaires that they've sent out, etc. And then you've got your line of business applications. Um, now, Fabric basically allows you to gather all of that data and then run it through extraction, transformation and load into a data warehouse. So it's really getting all of that data together. But why do you want to do that? Well, obviously you want to get insights into your, your data and what's happening within your organization and report against it. But it doesn't actually stop there. So your data that's sitting in the cloud, well, you don't really want to create two copies of that. And um, what Fabric allows you to do is create a single location, your master data, and mirror it into um, into fabric it also allows you to then look at the data that can be real time and run actionable rules against the data based on any changes that might be happening within your systems and most excitingly for me you can use ai against the data by generating machine learning models on top of it uh, that assists you with predictions as to what exactly is going to happen uh, with your organization or what to expect potentially, because obviously this is a machine learning model. Um, and yeah, that, that in essence is what uh, Fabric is all about. So is it um, what we call in the olden days a cube? So yes and no. Um, I mean, basically what, it, what it's doing is, is uh, the, the tool is providing you with a, a method to data warehouse and then you would build cubes off of your data warehouse now fabric 
basically does the same thing. It allows you to take that information and put it into a single location being Azure. Um, it allows you then to run your ETL processes, which if you've done any data warehousing before, you can think of things like um, your um, SQL transformation services where you pump data in, you transform it into the way that you want it, you pump it out on the, the other side. So what Fabric is doing is aggregating all of that information into one place and providing you with a bunch of tools that you can transform it to the way that you need. And then you can present the data using Power BI. And it is, is it as difficult as previous kind of ways of doing this? Is it easier? I'd like to say no, because I was able to build an environment myself. So I'm not a data expert in, in any way, shape or form. And the tools were easy enough for me to connect, connect to different types of data, transform the data and, uh, and present it. But there are some different uh, tool, tool sets in place. So um, in terms of the connections, you, you can connect to over 200 connections, and this includes HTTP connections. So if you've got a developer mindset talking to APIs and getting data in, you, you can do that with, uh, with Fabric. Um, you can also use things like um, Apache Spark, which allows you to run Python um, queries against the data to do any of the transformation. But because you're running Python Spark, you can also include things like SQL and utilize your SQL knowledge to, to generate the, um, the results that you might need or extract the, the information. But the idea is that it, it builds this platform where you could use uh, the information as a knowledge manager you could use the information as a line manager. You could even use it as a developer for developing apps on top of. So a lot of, uh, lot of different functionality there in terms of how you interact with the data. Okay. So it's got over, you said, 200 connection types, including HTTP. Um, and it kind of, this will replace like traditional data warehousing solutions. This is like the, the step forward or... So I, it's not really a replacement. Um, you would have had the, the data warehousing in, in Azure in any case, um, or your own on-prem servers, etc. I think it's just a better way for people to interact with the data um, and an easier way to, to interact with it, plus adding a lot of power on top of um, the, the data. So data warehousing, um, you would have been creating processes to get the information in. You can now do that with Microsoft Fabric. You would then transform the data into a readable format that you can use. You're now doing that with uh, Fabric. Then you're generating your reports. Well, you can automatically do that with Fabric in, in Power BI. So it, is it a replacement of those components? Not really. It's still using those components, but yeah. it's pulling everything together in that one place. So as a data engineer, you go to one place. As a data scientist, one place. Um, anyone getting the reports, they're all there for you in a, in a single location. So I think in understanding your data, it's, it's a lot easier. Um, and I'll show you in, in terms of the tools, um, handover of, of those processes is a, is a lot easier as well. Whereas before it was very much back end, uh, getting, getting stuck into the, the nuts and bolts of that transformation. So it's more presentation layer than uh, anything else. 
or more than that? No, it, it does everything. So it does the um, the the grabbing of data, it does the transformation, and then it, it provides you with Power BI where you can present it, but it doesn't have to be Power BI. You could present with any um, any medium that you want to. Oh, wow. So, so who's going to use this then? Okay, who's so, I mean, yeah, yeah, historically, you've got a team of DBAs sitting around manipulating data, importing it into your data warehouse. And um, in, in this case, Fabric provides you with notebooks that allow you to simplify that ETL process. So the notebooks, um, as mentioned, uh, are Spark. Um, so that's Apache, but uh, you can run Python commands in there, which means that you can run SQL, you can run other transformation languages, and I'll give you an idea of how that works in a little demo. Um, but is this a techie tool? Most certainly. Would it still be DBAs? Potentially. But now we've got this uh, differentiation into data engineers. Now, the data engineers are pretty much doing that DBA role of grabbing the data and transforming it into um, into a location in the data warehouse. You've got the data scientists who are then playing with that data and um, preparing it so that it can be used in models and building models themselves uh, for machine learning. And then, as mentioned, with the end users, that can be quite um, that can be anyone really, from line managers, knowledge management, uh, knowledge managers, right through to developers. Uh, so you can pretty much name who those end users are. There's another added benefit, though, with pulling this data into Fabric is it also allows you, based on um, on the security and permissions, to build a security model that restricts what data can be accessed by what different users. And we started off this talking about news and getting hacked and all of the rest. And when you're talking about your business data, the security becomes quite important there. So uh, I like this in that you can build a model around your HR data that only HR has access to, operations has access to the other data, uh, line managers might have uh, access across everything just to start building, building up their reports. So yeah, a lot going on there just in terms of uh, accessibility and and who those users are it sounds uh look at i'm starting to build a picture in my mind and for the people listening on the podcast uh hopefully you've got a, a demo for us something yes, you can look most at. Certainly. So, um, so let's yeah, jump into that on the podcast uh you can jump onto youtube channel and uh check this out for everyone that's on youtube obviously you can see this right now Okay, excellent. So hopefully you can see my screen. Yeah, got it. And um, the first thing you'll notice is that I've loaded up and it's Power BI. So as mentioned, Fabric is um, part of the Power BI offering now. And if we drop down to the bottom here, we can actually mm -hmm. see um, with this Power BI button that there's a Microsoft Fabric link. But you can also see things here around Synapse for data engineering, data science, data warehouse, and real-time analytics, which are essentially the, the building blocks for, for Microsoft Fabric. So mm -hmm. it's broken into these workloads around um, data engineering, where you're creating your, uh, your lake house, you're using Apache Spark to transform things, 
you've got your data science areas where you're building your machine learning models. You've got your data warehousing area where um, you're basically storing all of that data. And then you've got some other special components like real-time analytics and data activator. So the real-time analytics is taking in your data at runtime and converting it uh, for you or, or transforming it for you. And then Data Activator is kicking off actions in real time by looking at the data and looking for any types of anomalies. Goodness me. Yeah, so we, these are all of our tools. Let's just jump back to, um, to Power BI here. And I'm going to go to Workspaces. And what you'll see here is I've got a special uh, workspace for Fabric. Now, that workspace, you'll notice it's got a little premium diamond next to it because there is licensing specific to Fabric. So sure. it's an additional license over and above uh, Power BI, and it also incorporates um, some Azure componentry because all of this data is residing in, in Azure. Uh, but your workspace gives you just an area that you can um, set up access to it has a number of different settings and it really holds all of your containers for fabric now those containers are only available through a fabric workspace you can't get to them through another workspace so let's go and check that out and i see the the licensing types are as uh, easy and clean to understand as microsoft uh, rolls things out is yeah, so yeah, in yes, terms of that, user, I mean, it's the, licensing uh, per user. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's the Power BI Pro that incorporates uh, some of the Fabric functionality. There's a Fabric-only license. There, so, yeah, it, it gets uh, quite uh, complicated. The nice thing is, if you're looking at the reports, well, they present in, in Power BI. So if you've got a Power BI license, then, then you're all good. Okay, when I open up this Fabric workspace, we've got a lot of stuff happening here. We've got notebooks, we've got semantic models, we've got SQL analysis endpoints, but everything really works around your lake house. So your lake house is where you have your data store. So let's jump over to our lake house and uh, we'll see. It's nice to say, let's go to my lake house and yeah. then get this and you're like, well, this was what I was expecting. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not overlooking Lake Como. Um, and uh, all we have here is places where we store data. So not very sexy, but things that you'll notice are the ability to pull data into our system. So things like files. So let's take orders. You might have orders for different years sitting in a CSV, and you now want to pull these in and present some reports on them, right? Yeah. You might also want to go and get data. So you can upload files. You can create a pipeline or a data flow. You can also create a shortcut. So I mentioned the ability to um, mirror data and that, that data mirroring is basically a shortcut where I can pull in data from an, a, an existing Azure data warehouse, AWS warehouse. Uh, those are the two main ones at the at the moment that have been catered for within Fabric. There is talk that there are going to be a couple more um, when we're done. And what that means is you just create a connection to the data. Um, it doesn't pull in the data into your um, into lake your lake house, but it it creates the connection so that you can start using it. Okay. 
once once you've got the data, and I mean, here we can even go to, let's just jump onto the pipeline here and um, show you some of the connections uh, that we've got, because I did mention there are about uh, 200. So let me just create a new pipeline. And this will show you some of the the connection types that we can um, access. And you'll see there, it covers most of the scenarios that you would expect. Just so like uh, web-based, so it takes a little time there, but uh, once it pops up, it tells me connect to data. So there's some sample data if you want to mess around with uh, Fabric and, and quite important to know there is a trial for Fabric. So you can try out all of this functionality yourself. And then when we drop into the data, we've got things like Amazon SQL, Amazon Redshift, Amazon S3, which is also one of the data mirroring uh, capabilities, right through to any of your Azure data, Dataverse, you can pull information directly from uh, 365, you can go to Dynamics, and there's that HTTP generic protocol. So you can yeah, call in an API to a line of business. SharePoint list and SFFTP. Yeah, I mean, we've got SQL, Snowflake, MongoDB, I mean, anything, yeah. OData connection. So there's a lot of uh, different types of, of data here. And yeah. if you want to see them in the different data sources. So basically, that's pulling in your data. I'm not going to keep that. Uh, let's close that down. Yes, cancel. We're going to jump back to our lake house. Now, once you've got a connection to your data, you might want to transform it. And this is where the notebooks come in. So I'm going to have a look at an existing notebook anytime. And these um, these notebooks, they're not uh, OneNote notebooks, eh? They... No. So these are the Apache Spark notebooks. Okay. So I'm going to look at order transformations, and I'm going to open that up. And what this allows me to do is interact with the data within my lake house. So right now, all I've done is I've imported a couple of order files that are in CSV format, but that's not exceptionally helpful for me. Oh, good. So, well, yeah. So good old Python code here uh, using PySpark. I've created a um, a structure where it takes my order information and it's going to put that order information into that structure and it goes and reads from my csv but notice i'm not passing a specific file i'm passing a wildcard as in a, a star there so it gets all of my csv data and then it prints it out to a table for me that in itself is is quite cool i can do things like um look at uh the number of rows etc I can then also go and select certain columns, or I can group information. I can go yeah, well, and I mean, you, You're going to have to create the code for that, right? I mean, this isn't something Correct. where you just go, hey, guy, put sales order number with sales order date and last name and send off. Like, you're going to have to. Exactly. So if, if you know Python, Good on you, and this is this is why I say this is going to be very much your DBAs, your um, your uh, users who are your data engineers who are going to be transforming this data, and they need to have a good knowledge of. of but I see there's a little grayed out Copilot there, and I think if that wasn't grayed out, would you be able to get Copilot to write the code for you? Oh, most certainly. 
yeah. in fact, most of the code that I wrote here, I used Copilot uh, or I used ChatGPT to write most of it myself. So um, if you're looking for things to do, like how to extract information from a CSV, how to, all of that data is, is available and most certainly that Copilot could work for you. Quite importantly is once we've transformed all of the data and we've got it into the tabular format that we want, we're going to load it into Parquet and load that into a table. Now, you've probably never heard of Parquet before, but Parquet is like... Yes, exactly. So Parquet is like a CSV file, but it's performance-oriented towards AI queries and and fast uh, processing time. So what happens here is we transform the data and we put it into Parquet files that we've put into um, our partition data. And then once we've got that, we can start pushing the, the information into a table. So I've created a sales table, a sales orders table here, which looks just like a SQL table, right? But this is a Delta table. And the Delta table is essentially the, um, the schema in which it's going to present the data. It's not holding all of the data. It will go to all of our Parquet files to pull the data and then present it in this format. But once it's in this tabular format, you can start using SQL against the, um, the information. So in this case, you can do a normal select query from that table. So if you know your, uh, your SQL queries, you That's the first thing I've understood about anything you've said so far. Select star. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've shown you a bit of the, um, the the code here. And I also mentioned to you that once you've got this data in place, it's actually a lot easier to follow. But you haven't been following this, right? So let's go and have a look at um, another um, notebook. And I'll show you how we start transforming this data or using it in a model. So here we've got ingesting the data. We just saw that. We can explore and visualize the data, but let's actually go to train and track a machine learning model. Okay. Is this still also like rubbish in, rubbish out if the data is not uh, formatted? Oh, without a doubt. It's still going to have issues. Yeah. So you need to make sure that the information that you pull in is is correct. And uh, hopefully if it's coming from your line of business application, it should be. Yeah. Okay, so why this is called a notebook? You'll notice here that I can actually incorporate all of my instructions with exactly what I'm doing. So here I've got a description of what we're doing in this module, training and registering a machine learning model. So if someone comes in and they want to know what this code is doing, they can just read about it. You can include your documentation within the, um, within uh, okay, the note, note yeah. model. Yeah, yeah. And then here, where it, it's actually got the code, you'll notice there's a little run button. So you can yeah. run that cell, or you can run everything above or below the cell, or freeze uh, it. So it's got like a debug. That's cool. Yeah, so great uh, great here, just in terms of running through, you can see the commands that it's it's implemented. And I'm not going to go through all of this, but I mean, here we're using PySpark again to generate a... Um, a model whereby we, we split up the information into a training set and to a testing set. Um, and then with that data, we pass it through, we run the model, and we get predictions out of the model. So 
in in using these notepad uh, note uh, books, we are transforming the data and getting it into a a area where we can read it using SQL. Um, we are also allowing ourselves to build uh, models and the like, so assets on top of our um, on top of our uh, fabric data. So I'll jump back into the fabric data and just show you there. So we have all of our notebooks and then we have our semantic models and think of a semantic model as a data set. So if we go and have a look at the EDR data set, it shows me the breakdown of that table. It also shows me any of the assets that are related to that data set. So if I create a report or a dashboard out of it, it shows it here. It also shows me where the SQL endpoint is for that. So if I wanted to run a SQL query against it, I can do. But what is really cool is once I've got the data in a data set, I can start creating reports. So that could be a blank report, or it could be a report based on um, the, the data that is provided. So let's go back to our, um, where was our orders data set? So we wanted sales orders. And here we might have multiple um, uh, tables within a, a single semantic model. And here we can auto create a report. So it's going to take the data and generate a report for us that it thinks is relevant based on, on the data. So let's go and have a look at one that's already created because it takes a couple of seconds to So to after that. all of that work, this is the final kind of huzzah. Yes, exactly. So you've got all of the data in there mm -hmm. and now I pull in, um, this, this was auto-generated, so I haven't uh, created anything and it's telling me some of uh, tax amount, some of unit price. So it's looked at the data and suggested reports that I might want mm -hmm. and then also incorporated a, um, a summary of all of the data. So nowhere within any of my data would you have seen any kind of summary. So it's looking at the data and then presenting uh, some interesting facts around that data. Now, if you want to do, adjust these, obviously you can go through and uh, filter with any of the, the relevant criteria. You've got all of the normal Power uh, BI kind of functionality here where you can export the data, you can send it off to a dashboard, yeah. um, you can alert to the, to the data. And if you wanted to go in here, you can obviously go and edit this report using just the normal Power BI tools. So you can yeah, see the visualizations, cool. yeah. you see all of the data, you can build in your own filters and the like. So providing you all of that rich functionality that you'd normally have in, in Power BI. That's um, that's pretty jaw-dropping when you see how everything fits together. I mean, you know how long it used to take to put together reports from multiple locations. Um, and so this, this is quite a nice way. Most certainly. And, and why I wanted to show that sales order information is for a lot of our clients, they see this and they jaw, uh, their jaw drops because... Think about aggregating a whole bunch of different um, Excel spreadsheets and then yeah. trying to draw reports on them. How much time do you waste grabbing all of the information, then cutting and pasting, putting it all together? Then you've got too many rows, so it uh, it doesn't uh, perform yeah. nicely, etc. Here, 
you just point it at a location, you drop your files in, and it does everything for you and updates all of your graphs in real time. So, that's your power. That's the big thing. Absolutely right? wonderful. Now, I'm going to take you to one last one because I showed you the, um, I don't want to save any changes here. I showed you a predictive model. So, let's jump back to our workspace. Sorry, I'll jump to our lake house again. And um, I pulled this from, uh, from uh, Microsoft's examples, but uh, utilizing predictions for, for CAB. So that notepad that I showed you, uh, the notebook, um, mm. built a prediction model for um, CABs to show you a machine learning model. And then you can look at your machine learning versus your um, actual actuals so here we've got we've built a, a graph you obviously got all of the functionality around different timelines etc where you can look at how your predictive model is working against the actuals so the predictive model here in dark blue versus the um the actuals in in light blue so very interesting here just this this is looking at uh, trip durations based on um where you people were picked up, time of day, that, that type of thing. So, um, you know, obviously th there needs to be the right um, requirement yeah, I mean, or data. use case for your business. Um, it's not something that you're just going to start implementing because there is a cost involved in, in processing all of this data. So you need to be quite, uh, quite rigid in terms of your idea of what you're going to be predicting data on in, in terms of machine learning. But, Can it do uh, like there, predictions there where so it goes... Um, uh, optimistic, pessimistic, realistic? Yeah, most certainly. So um, in, in terms of that, just in terms of the, the graphing that you show, um, it can show that type of data quite easily. Yeah, because then you can obviously, you know, you, you can get a, a, a hedge. So I can see how they could work quite nicely. So, I mean, quite, quite interestingly there, um, real-time analytics you can be pulling in your data in real time. Um, so here you've got K uh, KQL and you've got event stream. Yeah. I haven't left these running. I turned some of them off, but the event stream is essentially listening to a data source. Yeah. It's polling um, all the time and then the data arrives and it transforms it. So where you're looking for hedges and the like, you can keep that event stream running against a uh, let's say a share price and then kick off actions based on that share price using the data activator. So that's just the alert system uh, and making things actionable based off of your real-time analysis. So the immense power in here is absolutely crazy. And uh, just just to, to remind you, I'm not a data expert. Um, I was able to set up this, this environment and all of the rest, but there's a whole lot of other functionality within here that your data engineers and data scientists will go absolutely moggy about. Um, yeah. But oh, I can well, well past my pay grade. I want to, um, I'd love to plug in like an F1 race into the event stream and be like predictive analysis on who's going to finish where. I think that might be a, a great tool to, uh, to, to put out there. Maybe, maybe we can see if we can find an event stream that has that, uh, that data or a stream that has that data. I'm sure, cool. I'm sure it must That's be possible. Uh, yeah, predicted uh, start or uh, end of race um, as it goes through based on the speeds that the guys are doing and pit stops and that would be insane. 
if anyone out yeah. there. Although, yeah, I suppose my, uh, the, all the teams have it uh, in-house, in but uh, now a fan could create this. I think that would be cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Eh? I like, think I the, think this the is the reason I've kind of avoided fabric because it's, like I said, it's it's just a, it's a rabbit hole of what you can do with data, and it's a full time job career, kind of. It will oh, be. a couple. If you look at the the data engineers and data scientists, are two different individuals, um, and then you've got your administrative staff just making sure that your data warehouse is all good. But I mean, the reality is that it's it's managed by Microsoft, so it's secure, right? Um, but uh, the the traction that's being had in the market, I think uh, the last I heard, they said there were twenty five thousand uh, customers actively using Fabric already, and uh, I mean it was only recently launched. And every day I'm getting emails about Fabric developers in Fabric, Fabric courses. You can even see here logging in. Las Vegas has their first uh, Fabric community conference in in March. So the the traction around Fabric, I think, is is massive. And uh, everyone that I speak to around data is is asking questions around fabric. So I think it's a very worthy topic to to get your head around. I, I think uh, th there's a lot of functionality here. Obviously, you need to look at your existing systems for data warehousing and, and how you're going to use the data. But as you can see from the front end, very easy to start manipulating the data and uh, transforming it if you've got the the skill set and as you pointed out where you can't find the skill set chat gpt or copilot uh gets you a long way yeah i think that's going to be the the big differentiator here being able to create those queries without um without coding knowledge is going to be huge and speaking of events you've got um uh, espc um they've got fabric week from the 19th to the 23rd of february and they've got a ton of webinars here uh with the introduction to fabric optimizing dax fusion uh the hot seat microsoft fabric with um john white you are using lakehouse data at scale with power bi featuring direct lake mode so there's just tons of things that people can register for and uh get some training on Jeez. Yeah, and the, the latest I saw, um, I actually got an email about it yesterday, was uh, developer training for using the Lakehouse APIs. And then uh, you utilize the uh, Fabric as your back end and your front end, you've got your app development and you're talking to the data, getting information from the data as well. So very interesting stuff happening in the market at the moment. Really, really interesting. Well, I feel a lot more enlightened uh, as to what Fabric is. Um, will I be using it? No. Um, I think it's one of those things that is very much um, specific to someone's role. Uh, I don't think it's something that you dabble in. I think it's definitely something that you exist in. Um, I know this will be... Well, I, until you give me a task to uh, generate a live event for a Formula One race, which I, I can see coming in my mail later today. Yep. I'll send you the yep. API. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's definitely something that will be embraced uh, by companies worldwide um, and being able to access data and leverage that data uh, to this next level. It's fantastic. And, and yeah on the fabric looks good 
Great. And yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily just enterprises that now have this access, you know, a, uh, an SME could have that same uh, functionality. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, sh you saw there with the access to pretty much any, any platform of data from SharePoint list to SQL databases and everything in between. Um, being able to analyze your data has just become democratized as such. Yeah. So. Exactly. Well, Craig, thank you so much. I'm enlightened. Brad, thank you. We'll chat soon. Check you next week. What are we going to do? Uh, loop versus Notion. Yeah, sounds good. Like Thank you Maybe so much, Craig. Speaker. Okay. Enjoy. Bye. Bye.